This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. With the Andrews Sisters performing Christmas Island, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 774 for release on Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2023. And on WaveScan today, we're looking at both Christmas islands in the Indian and Pacific Oceans. On Christmas Island, you will never stray for every day your Christmas dreams come true. Today is Christmas Eve, and tomorrow will be Christmas Day. In honor of this happy occasion, we're using the whole of today's program to tell you the interesting story of Christmas Island Radio. Of course, there are two islands named Christmas, one in the Indian Ocean and another in the Pacific Ocean. In this first segment, Ray Robinson takes a visit to the Indian Ocean, not the Pacific, for a Christmas Island adventure. Thanks, Jeff. The island called Christmas is formed in the shape of a small terrier dog looking eastward. It's around 12 miles long and 1 mile wide and it's located 185 miles from Java in Indonesia and 870 miles from the nearest coastline of Australia. Christmas Island is the somewhat flat surface of an underwater mountain standing nearly 3 miles high and it's surrounded by almost impassable cliffs. It's covered with dense jungle and the highest hill is a little over 1,100 feet. The island offers many exotic tourist attractions, including several unique and rare forms of biological species, more than 40 caves for exploration, and wild and winding trails for walking and backpacking. The general population of permanent residents is a little over 2,000, though there is at times an influx of service personnel as required on the local scene. The only settlements of housing and industry are small areas located on the north coast near the only suitable ocean anchorage at Flying Fish Cove. The most notable tourist attraction is the annual migration of the notorious Red Crab. This remarkable event takes place soon after the beginning of the annual rainy season, usually in October or November, according to the phases of the moon and the need for a high tide. It's estimated that as many as a million of these red crabs migrate over well-worn routes from the jungle to the edge of the ocean every year. Local authorities have constructed bridges and tunnels in some places so that the crabs can reach the ocean without crossing the actual roadway surface. When the crabs are moving, they'll attempt to climb any obstruction, and they will enter housing and buildings. If a car runs over any of these crabs, their sharp claws can puncture the rubber tyres. 
The history of the Indian Ocean Christmas Island can be traced back to the year 1643, when Captain William Miners, aboard the East India ship Royal Mary, sailed past the island on Christmas Day and gave it the now-recognised name. In March 1688, the English explorer William Dampier hove to at Dales on the west coast, and two of his crewmen went ashore as the first Europeans to set foot on the island. The island was uninhabited at the time. Exactly 200 years later, Christmas Island was annexed by England in order to mine the extensive phosphate deposits near the north coast. The first settlement was established at Flying Fish Cove by Mr G. Clooney's Ross, who wanted timber and other supplies for his settlement on Cocos Island, which he also owned. Subsequently, John D. Murray, who at the time was a recent graduate from Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, settled on Christmas Island and was sometimes honoured as the King of Christmas Island. The island was originally administered from the Colonial Office in London, subsequently by the Straits Settlement Office in Singapore, and then after World War II, the island was taken over by the Australian government. Today, the two islands, Christmas and Cocos, are administered as a single Australian unit from the government office on Christmas Island. The first listing of a wireless station on Christmas Island is shown for the year 1924, when a station was on the air at the Phosphate Company's factory near Flying Fish Cove. This station, with probably a valve-equipped transmitter, was licensed under the callsign VSM. In 1936, Mr J.C. Baker began employment on Christmas Island as the radio officer. It would appear that he was serving with a new government station, replacing the previous commercially owned and operated station. This new station was a low-powered operation for communication with Singapore. The call sign on Christmas Island isn't known, though it was probably licensed with a Royal Navy call sign beginning with the letter G. At the time of the tragic and disastrous firefight in the Indian Ocean between the German HSK Cormoran and the Australian HMAS Sydney during World War II, Christmas Island Radio was unaware of the event. This wartime encounter on the high seas took place 2,000 miles to the south of Christmas Island on Wednesday, November the 19th, 1941. However, nearly three months later, a small lifeboat floated ashore at Christmas Island on February the 6th of the following year, 1942. Among those who officially examined the body of the dead sailor on the lifeboat was the radio operator, Baker. It's understood that the dead sailor had been the only possible survivor of the Sydney Cormoran encounter. Five days later, on February the 11th, Christmas Island Radio lost contact with Singapore Radio at the time of the Japanese invasion of the Malay Island. Some six weeks later, on March the 31st, a dozen Japanese bombers attacked the settlements on Christmas Island and they also destroyed the communication radio transmitter station. However, Radio Officer Baker and his wife had been evacuated by boat to Perth in Western Australia during the previous week. The surviving radio operator's building on Murray Road, Settlement, is now included in the Australian Heritage List. One week after the bombing raid, Japanese armed personnel took over the island, which they held precariously for around three and a half years. The Royal Navy ship, HMS Rother, reclaimed the island for Great Britain soon after the end of the war, in October 1945.
We now continue our Christmas Island saga with information subsequent to the war years, and in particular the radio broadcasting scene on this lonely and isolated island. As a reminder, at the moment we're talking about the Australian Christmas Island located off the coast of Java, some 300 miles south of Jakarta. The only radio station on the island at the beginning of World War II was destroyed by the Japanese invasion in 1942. It's possible the Japanese installed a wireless communication station there during their more than three years of occupation, but there's no known information regarding that possibility. In the developmental years after the end of World War II, a new communication station was installed on Christmas Island, though dates and information are uncertain. Perhaps it was under the British after the war, or perhaps it was under the Australians, after the island was transferred to Australian jurisdiction in 1957. However, when the new station was installed, it was still in some way associated with the British Phosphate Commission, though the known call sign was not a British call sign, but rather an Australian one, towards the end of the VL series, VLU. In 1960, the British phosphate call sign for shipping was also an Australian call sign, towards the end of the VI series, VIY. This call sign, VIY, had been in use a hundred years earlier for a spark wireless station located at Mount Gambia in South Australia. According to a report in the October 1961 issue of the Australian monthly magazine Radio and Hobbies, the Voice of America conducted a feasibility test transmission on Christmas Island in an endeavour to ascertain the suitability of the location for a large shortwave station to broadcast into Asia. This report came from the noted international radio monitor in New Zealand, the late Arthur Cushin. However, though this short report seems to indicate that test transmissions were made, it's not known as to whether the Voice of America imported their own transmitter for the tests or whether the available low-powered VLU was used for this purpose. In 1965, the resident communication engineer diverted the usage of a radio telephone communication transmitter and he broadcast music and information for the benefit of local residents. Initially, this program service in the medium wave band was on the air without a call sign. On September 1st, 1967, the radio broadcasting service was officially inaugurated under the subsidiary call sign VLU2, with 500 watts on 1420 kHz. Apparently, a new transmitter was installed for this purpose. Programming was in three languages, English, Malay and Chinese. Usually, the transmitter was left on the air with an open carrier outside programming hours so that local residents could be alerted to any important information, including shipping and aircraft movements. A new solid-state transmitter was installed in 1978 with three units at 125 watts each. Any two of these units could be combined to provide an output power of 250 watts. In November of that same year, 1978, the VLU-2 transmitter was modified to conform to the new international 9 kHz spacing, and the operating frequency was adjusted from 1420 to 1422 kHz. Here, following an instrumental version of the Doors hit Light My Fire, is the sign-on ID recorded at 6am on Friday the 22nd of January, 1982. This is VLU2, the Christmas Island Broadcasting Service, operated by the administration of the territory of Christmas Island in the Indian Ocean. VLU2 broadcasts on a frequency of 1422 kHz 
with an aerial power of 250 watts. Natalie Rutherford with, with you uh, this week for The Breakfast Show. High tide at um, 7.47 this morning, followed by low at 21 minutes after 1 this afternoon, and the evening's high tide, 25 past 7. Brief for the local news, bringing you up with the latest on Christmas Island. Over the years, station VLU2 has also relayed programming from the BBC in London, Radio Australia in Melbourne, ABC Local Radio and Radio Singapore International. All of these programme relays were taken live off the air from shortwave. Back at that time, the Radio Australia relay station near Carnarvon in Western Australia propagated an excellent signal into Christmas Island, and likewise the old regional shortwave station VLW at Wanneroo could also be heard at a good level on the island. The VLU2 entries in the World Radio TV handbook indicate that the studios of the local medium wave station have always been located at Lower Drum Site and the transmitter at Phosphate Hill, both sites quite near to the main settlements on the northern coast of the island. The studios and offices for medium wave VLU2 are located in the radio building on Murray Road. Interestingly, there was one attempt at a shortwave relay from Christmas Island, and this took place under the concept of a Nordic DX test in 1991. At the request of the Northern European DX Club, a relay from medium-wave VLU2 was carried live on shortwave VLU with 150 watts SSB, single sideband, on 11765 kHz. There are no known reception reports of this special broadcast on shortwave. The request for this special broadcast was lodged by Gordon Darling, and it was announced by Andy Sennett in Media Network from Radio Netherlands. Back in 1972, serious consideration was given for the second time to the possibility of installing a large international shortwave station on Christmas Island. On that occasion, the concept was mooted by the British government, though both the BBC in London and Radio Australia participated in a preliminary feasibility study. The BBC was interested in installing a total of 21 shortwave transmitters, each at a power of 250 kilowatts, together with a massive array of antennas and an associated system of electric power generators. The BBC suggested that Radio Australia could use up to 14 transmitters at any one time, with the only cost being to pay for the electricity. At that time, the lease for the BBC relay station at Tabrao in Malaysia was soon to expire and the BBC needed a new transmitter location. In addition, Singapore was interested in establishing a steel mill and cement works on Christmas Island. However, due to the exorbitant costs associated with the entire superstation project, this massive shortwave station never progressed beyond the planning stage. An alternate location at Cranji on the north coast of Singapore was chosen instead. In December 2003, a Melbourne company obtained a licence for a medium-wave commercial broadcasting station on Christmas Island, using the call sign VZB804 with 400 watts on 1620 kHz. However, it would appear that this station too was never installed. Both FM radio and downlink TV came to Christmas Island more than 20 years ago, and these days there are five low-powered FM transmitters on the air with relays of ABC programming from Perth in Western Australia and three more carrying an independent station, Christmas Island Community Radio. A long-wave aircraft beacon is on the air on Christmas Island, XMX, with 100 watts on 341 kHz, 
and this low-powered radio beacon is sometimes heard in Australia. Then around 15 years ago, usage of the nostalgic medium-wave callsign came to an end, and VLU2 was assigned an Australian callsign 6ABCRN, indicating ABC Radio National in Western Australia. The encyclopedias inform us that the largest coral island in the world is Christmas Island. That is, the Christmas Island that's located in the Central Pacific. This particular Christmas island is the largest island in the scattered nation of Kiribati, and it lies 1,200 miles directly south of Hawaii. So here once again to conclude our Christmas island adventure is Ray Robinson. Thanks again, Jeff. The name for that nation is spelled as Kiribati, K-I-R-I-B-A-T-I, but according to the phonetic pronunciation in the national language, Gilbertese, the T and the I at the end of the word is pronounced as the standard letter S in English, and thus Kiribati. Likewise, the Gilbertese word for Christmas is spelled with a T-I, both in the middle and at the end, K-I-R-I-T-I-M-A-T-I, so it's pronounced as Kirismas which is very close to the standard English pronunciation, Christmas. This very large coral island has a total circumference of 100 miles, and on the map its shape is that of a convoluted square, with sides about 12 to 15 miles long, and a panhandle at the southeast corner that extends for another 15 or so miles out to the east, and it's perhaps a couple of miles wide. The total land area is about 150 square miles, with a central lagoon, which is open to the ocean on the west, taking up almost as much area as the land. It's a low, scrubby island, and it's located 2,000 miles east of Tarawa Atoll, the capital of the Kiribati nation, which is made up of 34 islands, atolls and reefs, widely spread, more or less in a line along the equator. Although there's evidence of human use by Polynesian people during the period 1250 to 1450 AD, this Christmas island was also uninhabited in the era immediately prior to Western exploration. The first European explorer to sight the island was the Spanish captain Hernando de Grijalva in 1537, more than a hundred years before the first sighting of the Christmas island in the Indian Ocean. During his third voyage, the famous English explorer Captain James Cook visited this island on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1777, hence the name Christmas Island. The first settlement on Christmas Island was established in 1882, with a few fishermen and plantation workers, though 23 years later the island was abandoned when a drought killed off most of the coconut trees. Seven years after that, a second attempt at colonisation took place when a group of settlers was brought in from other colonial islands. During World War II, American and Australian forces occupied the island, and the Americans built up an infrastructure made up of accommodations, an airport with a long runway, dockage for shipping, a weather reporting station and recreational facilities. General Douglas MacArthur was evacuated from the Philippines to Australia in March 1942, and he quickly ordered the development of an Army radio communication network across the Pacific. A radio communication station was thus installed on this Christmas island, and it was taken into service in July 1942 under the callsign WVHW. This event occurred soon after the Americans began to swarm onto the island for the Pacific War. 
Two years later, in June 1944, the first entertainment radio station on Christmas Island was inaugurated under the call sign WVUU with 75 watts on 1480 kilohertz. The call sign WVUU was previously in use a quarter of a century earlier for a communication transmitter on board the seafaring vessel Kanaki. This AFRS, American Forces Radio Service Entertainment Station, was installed by the American Air Force and it was heard occasionally in New Zealand and Australia. According to Theodore DeLay in his memorable volume on the history of AFRS radio, station WVUU was closed on February the 1st of the following year, 1945. However, the station was still listed in radio magazines in Australia and New Zealand for more than two more years, where it was shown as a member station of the AFRS Pacific Ocean Network. In 1957, the British began a series of nuclear H-bomb tests in the area under the technical eponym Operation Grapple, and five years later the Americans conducted a series of 36 similar nuclear tests under their working designation Operation Dominic. The next radio broadcasting station on Christmas Island was installed by the British during their nuclear tests in the area, which ran from 1957 to 1964. Volunteer members of the Royal Air Force installed a small medium-wave station on the island, and we presume it was located within the buildings associated with the Cassidy Airfield near the main settlement areas on the northwestern part of the island. This British radio broadcasting station was on the air with 50 watts on 1450 kilohertz, and it was listed in the World Radio TV Handbook in the early 1960s simply as BFBS, the British Forces Broadcasting Service. This station was on the air with local programming, and it also relayed programming from both the BBC in London and from BFBS in London. The schedule of service from BFBS Christmas Island showed five hours daily, with 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday. The station was closed in 1964 when the British forces departed after the conclusion of their series of nuclear tests. During the era when the United Kingdom administered the island as part of the Gilbert and Ellis Islands, both the UK and the United States claimed the territory. However, when the UK granted independence on July 12, 1979, as part of the new nation of Kiribati, the USA also released its claim. The most exotic of all of the radio services on Christmas Island was the rebroadcast on medium wave of a shortwave signal from Radio Kiribati on Betio Island, part of the national capital Tarawa Atoll, some 2,000 miles to the west. This relay service was first noted in 1980, and it was in use for a couple of years until a transmitter malfunction rendered the Christmas Island station inoperable. This shortwave service was transmitted from Tarawa Betio with a 1 kilowatt communication transmitter on any of three different frequencies, 9825, 14802 or 16433 kHz. It was in use for only two full years at the most, though it was shown as an entry in the World Radio TV handbook for half a dozen more years. We also presume that the medium wave transmitter used for the relay on Christmas Island, a 1 kilowatt unit on 1115 kHz, was co-installed with a telecom facility near the settlement of London, on the northwest coast of the island. The international dateline originally split the scattered islands of Kiribati into two different calendar days. 
However, on the 31st of December 1994, Christmas Island adopted a strange time zone, UTC plus 14 hours, the earliest time zone on Earth, which allows them to use the same working day as on all of the other islands in the scattered Kiribati nation. The fourth radio broadcasting station on Christmas Island was constructed and installed by Australian personnel in late 1998. Preliminary plans called for the station to be located quite close to the telecom facility, but due to fears of mutual interference between the electronics in the two facilities, it was actually installed at another location, though still near the settlement of London. This new station was claimed by its founders as the first on the island, since there was no other station operating at the time. And while it was the first private station, it was in reality the fourth radio broadcasting station to be based there. It operated with 500 watts on 93.5 FM, and it was on the air for six program hours daily. But unfortunately, due to lack of funding, the station fell into disuse after just a few months, and it was taken over by the island government at the end of the following year, 1999. Eight years later again, the station was reopened under the national government with a program feed from Taroa via satellite, and it's still on the air to this day with 500 watts on 93.5 FM. And to supplement that, in 2018, a new medium-wave 10-kilowatt unit was installed at London on Christmas Island, operating on 846 kHz, again rebroadcasting the satellite feed from Taroa. The total population of the island in the 2020 census was 7,380 local residents. They now utilise twin currencies, both the Kiribati dollar and the Australian dollar. So that concludes our look at the broadcasting scene on both islands called Christmas for today. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I wish you much joy, peace and happiness, both now and throughout 2024. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray, and Merry Christmas to all of you at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Let's get away from sleigh bells. Let's get away from snow. Let's make or break some Christmas, dear. I know the place to go. How'd you like to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? And we end this special Christmas edition of WaveScan with Jimmy Buffett's version of Christmas Island. Jimmy passed away on September 1st of 2023. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week on WaveScan, we'll have part two of Bermuda and a conversation with Marcel Romertz about shortwave radio in Europe. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone, and Merry Christmas. 
This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 